Hey, it's Kathy with Rocky Retirement. And as promised, today's Friday, and so you'll be getting to listen to Henry Shapiro's Retired Excited. I know you're just going to love this as much as I do. And don't forget, you can still listen to Rock Your Retirement, where I'm the host, and those shows are released on Mondays. Welcome to the Retired Excited Podcast. Retired Excited, the show where we give retired and want-to-be-retired folk a look at how great retired life can be. Here we talk to men and women who are happily retired and loving their life. We explore the techniques, activities, beliefs, and excitement of these happy retirees and examine how every Tom, Dick, and Mary can benefit from their experience. Together, we will delve into what retired happiness really looks like and how anyone can achieve it. Here is your host, Henry Shapiro. Hey folks, Henry here at Retired Excited, the show providing inspiration for people who are nearly retired, newly retired, or say they're never going to retire. If you're nearing retirement and fearful of what lies ahead, you don't need to be. If you're already retired and wondering how to fill your days, then this show is exactly for you. Here we talk to retired people doing things that make them happy. Things from stamp collecting to cruising, from dancing to touring the world on a motorbike. There's an exciting stage of life to be enjoyed after full-time work and it's got nothing to do with your financial situation or social position. We talk to everyday retired people who are living the life they want and we talk to a few professionals to get expert advice. And I chip in with some of my own experiences. Hi, Henry here with episode number 29 of Retired Excited. I think lots of people, when they retire, would like to get into the art world. They'd like to paint or draw, and they, they think that that would be a really, really good hobby. But then not many of them actually take it up. My guest today is Di Lockwood. Di's a teacher, and she was in a fortunate position working in Victoria in Australia that she was able to retire when she was 55, 54 and 11 months, because that was the case at that time. And so she had a long period in front of her that she knew she was going to be able to follow the passion that she had for art. Now, the interesting thing about Di is that she prepared for it. Even before she retired, uh, she studied and she said that she loved study. So when she did retire, she took up the visual arts. She took up painting and printmaking and resolved finally that printmaking was her go. She really enjoyed that. And she says, when you finish an arts course, you're left with a whole bunch of paintings sitting in your bedroom at home. And at that point, she decided, well, she could make a few changes to her household and convert some of the rooms so that she would have a studio in her, at home. Convinced her husband that that was the right thing to do. And then she thought, well, there's a bit of other space here that we're not really using. We will establish an art gallery for emerging artists. There didn't seem to be much space for hanging paintings and artworks in the district, and this was the city of Casey in the east side of Melbourne. And she thought, well, this would be a really good thing. And from that art space or gallery, other opportunities arose. And the one that's really interesting is that through a series of steps which she explains, she finished up providing a space that refugee women 
could gather as part of a health program. So it was a health program which was delivered through the medium of art. But really, I think when you get down to it, it was a matter of helping these refugees establish themselves in the Australian community. She also taught art. In the local district, there is an art group which she joined and she was teaching the, the students there and she was displaying the work within her gallery. Now, her gallery was a not-for-profit gallery, and she explains the costs involved in hanging in most commercial galleries. Well, all she does is charge a very measly amount to cover the insurance that she has to pay in order to to be able to operate as she does. Within the interview, we range far and wide within the A to Z of art, and we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about Jackson Pollock and his development And for those of you who have been here for a while, you will remember the painting Blue Poles, which caused a bit of a furore early on when the government bought it. And we range far and wide. We talk about what it is that makes good art. And of course, good art is in the eye of the beholder. But she sets out some guidelines for how she would judge art. And if she was a judge in a competition, the sort of things that she would look for. Very interesting discussion and probably required listening for someone who is taking up art or students of art. Now, there's a couple of things that, that I want to explain to you. One is we talk a number of times about Narry North. The district where she lives is called Narry Warren, and uh, the locals call it Narry, and she's up north, so it's known as Narry North. And if you're wondering what it's all about, well, that's what it's all about. The other thing is Australians generally, I think, Love the sound of rain on a corrugated iron roof. It's really homely sort of a sound. And I love it, but not while I'm doing an interview. And as we go along, you're going to start hearing a hiss in the background, and that's rain on the roof. I just apologise for the hiss. There was no way of getting rid of that hiss. I'll start out by congratulating Di on the amazing property she lives on and make the mistake of saying that it's in the adjacent suburb of Berwick. But she soon sorts me out. Oh, for a start, it's Nary North. Oh, well, here we are in the middle of Narry North. <laughs> Which we are very proud of, that it's yeah. Narry North. And it's an acre filled with, oh, I don't know how many fruit trees. 50 baths? 83. 83. <laughs> and lots of seasonal vegetables. And then at the very end, we've got a creek running down the back. And there's rocks and babbling down there. So, so this is in the, in the middle of suburbia. You've got this little oasis going on. Yeah, and we're, we're making it more so because there's a horrible... Oh, no, there's progress happening <laughs> across the road. So we keep planting trees out the front to buffet that, mm. and we keep you've, adding to it. You've got veggies and fruit. Mm. Is it an objective to be self-sufficient? Oh, we're seasonally. We are. We can't grow bananas and pineapples, but we can do pomegranates and persimmon, and we have citrus all year round. And the berries, if you're not here in the summer, the berries are wonderful. I'm here to talk to you about retirement. Mm -hmm. And you're a retired person, retired from full-time work? Yes. Now, before you retired, what were you doing? I was in education for about 35, 37 years, I think, in primary primary school education. In mostly schools where children spoke English as a second language. Whereabouts around here? Dandy South. Dandy. And I loved that. And then I took my final promotion to Beaconsfield, and that was a very white bread area. So that was culture shock for me. So you're a primary teacher. Mm. You worked in Dandy South. How long have you been not teaching? Oh, 
well, how long have you been yeah, not in schools? Went, because you weren't teaching it right at the end, were you? I, I don't think. at the millennium. Teachers had a very advantageous retirement plan. I'm not mm. quite certain what you'd call it. That time. Did. Can you tell the listeners about that? Mm. We, well, I was really lucky. I was given the gift of being able to retire at 54 11. I'd always had art on the back burner and I just wanted to get back into it. I was going to say to you, what did you expect to be doing after you retired? Oh, well, I expected to be doing what I would have liked to have been doing perhaps all the time, but you had to do something to earn money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I do love teaching, so I'm not bagging that. You expected to be doing what you would like to have been doing and what was that? You didn't tell, but oh, tell me what it was. Well, I'd like to have studied art. And where it okay. took me, I don't know. When I'd studied, it would have led me somewhere. But I just knew that I loved that being creative. So when you retired, did you study or did you go into the practical side of creating? I know, art? I did some study first. Mm-hmm. Well, I did it before I retired. I went and did went to TAFE and started part-time and did my Diploma of um, Visual Arts. Finished it. As a mature student? Yes. Did you find... That the other students were youngsters, or were they also mature students? Oh, no, it's a really good mix. So mostly young, mostly younger. Mm-hmm. And it was really lovely working with all ages, people from all backgrounds, and also varying degrees of talent, actually. Did you find that it was, and this is only your experience, is it harder for uh, mature people, seniors, to study no. Than, the, than the youngsters, or no. was it easier? Because we loved it, and it was exactly what we wanted to do, it wasn't what we had to do. I couldn't get enough of it. The older students did well. Yeah. Or at least you, yes. Well, okay. I think, um, particularly on the theory, they did better because they bring a life's experience yes. to the work. Level playing field, though, with your creative ability, and some of those okay. young people, they were just beautiful. You know, you'd learn, I would learn from them. So you expected to do some study before you retired, and then you really did it. Mm. And what happened after that? Well, uh, when people finish an art course, they are left with a spare bedroom filled with art. <laughs> so I said, Baz, in the middle of the night, look, we could, I could turn these. We don't use these rooms. And so I turned the, the front... Well, I'd already claimed the lounge room for my gallery, my, for my studio where I did my work. Right. And then when I thought about it, I thought, gee, the front of the house could be closed off and the whole front could be for art. He's lucky I only chose that front. So I, it became a gallery. And it's, I stress it's not a business, mm-hmm. but it's not a charity. It's to, I suppose, using my education background, it's emerging artists giving them a chance to exhibit, have their first exhibition. With some responsibility on their behalf, they put on the opening, the food and all that. I'll do the curating and the admin, and they pay me $50 for the month to cover admin because I had to have insurance. $50 for a month? Yeah. (laughs) This is not a money-making experience. No, it wasn't. It was never. And I'll tell you what, if it had been a money-making experience, I would have hated it because I would have become a salesman. Come and look at these paintings. Oh, look at this one. You, I would hate that. So the work had to sell itself. I was happy to talk about it, mm-hmm. but I didn't have to. I'll sell things I believe in yes. because I want to, not because I... Right? It's a different, yeah. slightly different... Different mindset. Yeah. You create an art gallery, and here we are, as we said, in Narry North, Narry Warren North. Yes. Why would you do that? Well, there was no, nowhere to show work. Nowhere locally to show work, and on in the same side, nowhere for the public to come in and see work. 
I think that we're a bit of a, a desert out here, a, a visual art desert. It's just been fabulous. I've been going for 10 years. I opened Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it was good because I also found that family would say, you're not doing anything today. Can you come over and mind the kids or can you do this or that? And I have to say, sorry, I've got the gallery open. It's <laughs> the perfect excuse. And I could do my own art because people don't... It's not a Myers bargain basement. So no. you didn't have... 40 people coming all at once. You had them one or two, and sometimes if it was wet, nobody came. But it didn't matter, because Mm -hmm. I could do my art in the other room and be there if someone came. Nobody has never sold any work from that exhibition. That's a double negative. So everybody who has has, displayed has sold something. Been successful. And several have gone on and had exhibitions in professional exhibition spaces. Oh, the confidence they've gained. And the patrons, it's interesting, people we never knew that came through the gate would come back. And I've made a huge number of friendships and wonderful connections through it. How did the artists find you? Here I am, I'm yeah. an artist, work beavering away in my yeah. back room. Oh, I need somewhere to display. Oh, How did they find you? Dis- well, have you heard of this thing called the internet? Oh, the internet. <laughs> right. and, and emails. Well, of course, I had the connections from the my fellow students at Chisholm so yeah. they were my first that was great because and, and you could pick the ones that the strong you knew which ones mm-hmm. and I also put a contemporary tag on it so that I didn't get a never-ending stream of gum trees and rivers and landscapes and I fruit. wanted yes. different things yes. I wanted people to see things that had more of a thought process rather than a craft painting ability it was a thinking ability and a creating ability so by putting contemporary on it as as a lovely older artist said to me you're really cutting down your client potential and I said no that's okay it's okay we'll manage this and is we your have. teaching background coming through isn't it yeah. you're thinking past the painting you're thinking yeah. into the person's mind and mm. uh, what the process is yeah. yeah process for me is very important you were saying before we came on air that some of your refugees had displayed here. Mm. Tell the listeners about that. Well, I have um, one young man from Afghanistan, and he'd only been here two years. Very talented. And he hadn't painted until he was in the Darwin Detention Centre. That's the equally amazing thing. How old, more or less, was he? Uh, He's now 28, so he would have been 25, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And he, he has an eye, and he would tell these beautiful stories with his paintings he was in my class and so I said would you like an exhibition and he was just so excited and had a beautiful exhibition and he'd been volunteering at Monash Health so of course he invited the Monash Health workers to come in that group was Katie the nurse who said that she'd had this dream of being able to work just with the refugee women and do something with health and art and she was talking to the very perfect person so we planned a, a trial program which Monash have taken on as a, an ongoing program and every Friday morning we have about 20 refugee women coming and, and dealing with health issues and having a lovely time and laughing. So what's the objective of their program? Well, it's really based, it's a health-based program. So we'll learn about nutrition or women's issues or childbearing, lots of things. And then we connected in an art activity. So last term in winter, because it was winter, we all did knitting. And there were only three or four in the group who could knit. But in the end, we made a great big... um, Wall hanging. And this term, that led us to 
crocheting. It's just fun and it gets them talking and we have Australian women. So it's almost a two to one ratio of refugee women with an established English speaking person. person yeah. So there's the opportunity for small talk as well as large group talking. Yeah, great initiative. You mentioned as we we're going through there something uh, and you, you skipped straight over it. You said the classes we before we, uh, we hadn't spoken about classes. Do you run classes here? I do occasional workshops here, printmaking, right. but that's often in school holidays and that's often teachers who want to uh, hone up their skills in printmaking. But no, I teach at the old cheese factory in Berwick and um, it's structured so um, if, if you belong to the Berwick Artist Society you can go to the cheese factory on a Thursday and it's not structured, there's no one teaching, you just go and paint. But our Patmos class, uh, I actually tutor them in, uh, in a skill and then they paint. Something you also mentioned along the way, and we're talking now about more commercial art galleries, hmm. are the people. And yet you seem to be a bit, little bit disparaging about what goes on in these art galleries. Do you want to say anything about oh, that? Well, no. I mean, you have to have them. You know, they're a necessary tool. But it, it distresses me that commissions can be 45%. So if you sell something worth $1,000, let's say... Yeah, 45% goes to the gallery. goes to the gallery. Yeah. And they'll say, well, we have to pay the shop front, we have to pay the lease, we have to pay the insurance. Well, it's true. And they have to make a profit. Take that out. I don't have to make a profit. The other thing is they also have to pay to often have the privilege of putting it in there and the advertising. You know, there's all these little extras the, as well. The artist has to pay. Yeah. So if I'm... The rule is the artist loses. That's the rule. Mm, that's the rule. <laughs> Whereas my rule is the artist wins. Okay? That's what I'm on about. It's often thought a bit pretentious, the whole art mm. gallery scene. Mm. Why is that? Well, it might be the prices for a start. They're selling artwork like other people are selling cars. Yeah, it's a business. Then, well, they have to make it valuable. Whereas I see. I, you see, and, and art to me is very personal and subjective. And I love going into galleries and having a look at what people have been doing and thinking about it. But... I'm not often going in to buy, so I'm probably just a tyre kicker. I think people know that, you know, you're wasting their time a bit. All of those kind of things. And and it's not pretentious when you love it. Like, I, I could waff, waffle on about this painting behind you because I bought that one. See this one here? Yes. And I love it. And I could talk to you about the angle and the composition and the colour and the complementary colour. And, and you'd say, oh, <laughs> she's so pretentious. But it's because there are certain things you understand about it. And if you haven't looked at art, you either say, oh, yeah, that's a nice idea, or, oh, yeah, I like that. Or people say, I don't know anything about art, but I know what I like. <laughs> she said something on the table. <laughs> yeah. See, so that pretension's really... I went into an art gallery a few months ago now, and I was talking to the salesperson, I suppose mm. you'd say, I think. She thought, oh, he's a bit interested in this bit of art. And she said to me, uh, sir, what would your fine arts budget be today? <laughs> Get off the grass. Oh, <laughs> so she was wanting to... What would to, your fine she, arts budget be? Yeah. Was she negotiating or was she... No, she was trying to work out whether I could afford oh. the painting that I was looking at. Do you have much to do with that, let's say, level of society in the art world? Probably not. Oh. I've probably opted out of that. Yeah. I don't need to. And I would have had to have played the game. If I'd have gone into it as... If I'd gone to uni and done art instead of to teacher's college, I would have had to play that game yeah. because that was the only way you could do it. To make a living.
Well, people who go through those courses, I don't know how to phrase this, let's say I go into a course, am I going into the course to learn how to be an artist or to learn how to be in the art world and perhaps own a gallery? Mm, and a probably to be in the art world. Yeah. And a lot of those people that are curating galleries have yep. done that background in fine arts or history of art because you have to find another way to earn a living. And you might find that, well, I know down at the city of Casey where the art department is, mm-hmm. there are artists in that group. But they earn okay. their, that's, they earn their earn living dollar, yes, yeah. by be, being in administration and organising events. You said to me earlier that in the early days, this was the only art space mm. available, mm. but there's more now. Do you want to say mm. something about what Casey are doing? Yeah, I, I love the city of Casey for what they're doing for the visual arts. They used to offer the Civic Centre art space as one place. So we had one place and it was highly competitive to get in there. There were eight exhibitions for a year. And you think of all the city of Casey, there's a lot more than eight artists. Can I just say that Casey, for listeners, is geographically the biggest city in Melbourne. Or mm. in, and it's yeah. where Narry North is. Yeah. And now they've converted or they've paid for gallery space in every library. So Cranbourne, Doveton, Endeavour Hills, plus the Civic Centre, that's four. That's probably a fifth one I'm missing. And they've put special structures in to hang artwork and each has a dedicated wall for art. And so now they're able to offer these spaces for the year. And so a lot of the local artists now that I would have picked up for an exhibition here if they'd wanted to have got this option. So I can phase out a little bit, get some of my weekends back. But I'm not closing permanently. I will still want to keep this going. But Casey have done that. Plus we have Bunjil Place being built right now as we speak. Is that that monster building on the highway? Yes. Just tell people what that is. It is the most amazing building. It's going to have a performance centre, I think, for, for nearly 800 people in an audience. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous sound and everything. It's going to have regional gallery space so that we'll be able to take art from other state and regional galleries. It has a smaller exhibition space for, I suppose, community art. It's going to have the new library with all the technical whiz oh, bangs yeah. plus the Civic Centre itself. And it's called Bunjil Place because its, it's roofline is shaped like the wings of the eagle of the dreaming oh, of the fantastic. people of the Wondery. It's just beautiful. It's going to be fabulous. <laughs> 2017, they reckon, be finished. So next year, it'll be done? End of next year. Let's pivot, as I say, let's pivot onto your work. Okay. Tell me what you're doing, your your artwork. My artwork is probably, you'd call me a contemporary printmaker, a mixed media artist. I like to explore an idea and then see how far I can push that with some art. So an idea, Mm. where does the idea originate? Sometimes it originates from someone else. I belong to, in fact, I'm president of CCAN, which is the South Eastern Contemporary Art Network. Right. And we, we got that going about three years ago when we realised, the contemporary artists, that we were square pegs and we didn't quite fit into... The landscape and fruit bowls? Yes. Uh, and we also didn't fit into uh, council boundaries. A lot of my network are people from across the Cardinia Creek in Cardinia. And so that's why we've made the Southeastern group. So often the ideas for art will come from within that group and we'll do something within the group. And at the moment we're doing Chinese whispers. Do you want to hear about that? 
Yes, I know Chinese whispers. <laughs> well, the Chinese looking very doubtful. Yes, the Chinese whispers. When we were kids, we'd tell a story and you'd whisper and you'd whisper around in the circle, and and by the time it got to the end, it was completely different. So one of the people, one of the artists in our group, and he's a very talented contemporary, fairly abstract artist, and he was doing an artwork, and a friend said to him, "Do you mind if I use that idea and see where I go with it?" And he did, and, we, and the possibilities were amazing. So then, what we've done is, then the next artist looks at it and reinterprets it, and the next artist looks at it and reinterprets it, and we're going to have an exhibition of this artwork that started with one idea, and it's so just changed. So, what might, in this case, what was the idea? Well, it's abstracty, yeah. but he'd used. They sort of look like cellos. The, figure, the shapes sort of looked like cellos, but he'd given them legs and one was male and one was female. And it was sort of a landscape because you could sort of see bits of horizontal lines suggesting landscape, mm-hmm. but it was quite abstract. And Okay, so it wasn't... Hard to talk about art, isn't it? <laughs> I'm having trouble here. <laughs> well, my inter- I looked at that and I reinterpreted it right. using my style, and it's mm-hmm. very different. And then my girlfriend... Um, who lives around the corner, who we'll talk about in a minute because that's my other project. Pardon me. She looked at it and she paints nudes. She, that's what she does. And she saw the cellos, shapes, mm-hmm. and of course they became very pear-like uh, backs of women and people changed again. So whoever then works from that, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where it'll end up, this painting. It's okay. changing all the time. So the inspiration for this was a shape. Well, it was a Refugees. whole painting, but she reinterpreted it. Yes. Yeah. yes, it wasn't a, a concept no. like no, um, no, no, no. seashells or no. something. Yeah. It taking was a, a word. No, it, it didn't take a word. It took an actual image. It I've took never an done image. that before. Right. And it also pushes you out of your comfort zone in work because you're looking at the kinds of things you would never have done probably before. Yeah. But you've got, and then you bring it back into your own way of working. So that's that particular project. Mm, that's one. But, but your other work that you've done before that, where um, does the inspiration for it come, or does the inspiration come in the doing? Both, both. How do you start? Let's put it that way. What's the first thing you do? I'm going to do a new print today. Yeah. What, what do you do? Well, it's not as simple as that. <laughs> no, I didn't think so. Um, Heather and I, the girl around the corner, is also a printmaker, and she's also trained at TAFE at Chisholm, but we didn't know one another until she came here to see an exhibition, and we realised we were both printmakers, and we decided that we would like to have a go at doing, I said to her, it'd be great to do something together, collaboratively, because this is another way of pushing your boundaries. I'd love to do something about Narry North, and that's what we're doing at the moment, and it's going to be an exhibition in Endeavour Hills Library. We got accepted by Casey. And so at the moment, my inspiration is coming a bit from research. Okay. So I'm looking historically at Narry North and looking at the maps and looking at how it was and then reinterpreting that. So the inspiration art. in this case came from a discussion in the mm. first place mm. and then you decided on a, uh, a theme, yeah. let's yeah. call it, which is Narry North, which yeah. is Narry Warren North. And the change. The like we're sitting yes. here in this place of amazing change at the yeah. moment. Yeah, that's brilliant. So, you're not to tell me off when I ask this question. When you look at it, yours, you're assessing your own work or you're looking at one of your students or whatever, mm. how do you know if it's good work or not good work? Well, good subjective. Whether or not it's um, grabbed you in some way, 
if if it makes you want to look at it a little bit longer, then obviously there's something good, and I'm doing this. <laughs> yes, yes. If it's if, yeah, if it makes you want on. to look at it again, mm-hmm. um, and also for me, if it has a surprise element, I like that, and if it has something in it that makes me think about it. So I can look at a very traditional painting, and that's very, very good. And I look at it and I say, that is very, very good. But I move on. But other people will look at that and say, that's beautiful. I can just see that at my place. I'd love to look at that every day. And they would choose that one. So good is a really hard thing to say. But you can see technique. You can see ideas. If you were the judge in a, judging an art mm-hmm. prize... yeah. What assessment technique would you use in that case? All right. Well, I look at the creativity, the idea. I look at the skills development. And then have they nailed it? Have they done what they've tried to do? And really, is it really original? Is art difficult to get into? Here I am. I'm sitting at home. I'm about to retire. And I think, hmm, I'd like to get into the art world. Yeah, everyone can do it. Everyone, yeah. Um, people say, oh, I'm no good, I'm hopeless, I couldn't do it. Baz would say that. Um, but if you want to, that's all. You only have to want to. And then off you go. And when I worked mental health, there were people in that group and, and other people would come along and say, oh, God, isn't that, that's so crappy. My kid could do that. But when you know the emotion and the intent and all the other things that have gone into it, yes. you can't judge and say that this is no good. Here in Australia, some years ago, the government bought a painting called Blue Poles. Yeah, it was Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock. And uh, half the population arose saying, what a load of rubbish. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? (laughs) And I think they bought it for something around about the million dollars. It's now worth a squillion dollars. Mm, Yeah, mm. yeah. Poor old Jackson. He he had, and I read about him, and he's had such a hard life. But he, he, and this is what you have to understand, he was so radically different and he was trying not to represent anything. You try and not represent anything. Would I be correct in saying he's trying to represent an emotion? Well, it wasn't even emotional work, his blue poles, or a lot of his work. He was, he was throwing paint and then this, this um, entrepreneur, artist, his patron, I suppose, who was into non-representational art which was very new like Kandinsky and Mondrian had done it it was non-representational but the Americans hadn't and Jackson would put out these huge canvases across the floor and then work on them and strive for it to be nothing but paint and within while he was doing that these pieces would come together and there would be a rhythm in them Yes. If you look at the blue poles, oh, yes, there's a beautiful rhythm. Hmm. rhythm. But I think, he, I mean, he died young, but I think he, he didn't know where to take it next, what to do next. He'd yes. done that. And then what did he do? What could he do after that? So it's really a sad story. Yes. But he was daring. But I mean, he... If but other he, people carried on yes. on his behalf, let's yeah. say. Yes. And then they became abstract expressionists with the emotion. Or they pushed into nothingness. Or we had that minimalist period where... Um, artists would lay down 10 bricks in a row and call it 10 bricks in a row. And people say, oh, well, I could do that. But you didn't think of it. It's the first person who's sort of putting it there and daring to say, this is my art. And yeah. that's the challenge. So someone who wants to, get to enter the art world, they can do that. How would you suggest they do it? 
as I want a raw beginner, yeah. as a retired person, yeah. get onto your council website and see what's around in art or art classes. Art classes. You, the first one you go to you might not like. Like I went to a drawing class just to see, someone gave me a voucher as a gift, a drawing class, and it was how to use coloured pencil, which I like doing. I had an hour of drawing a tomato and I was suicidal by the end of it. The teacher, she's wonderful and she's a friend now and I really respect what she does and she does beautiful drawings and she's professional and she's sold internationally but there's no way I could work like that. What I'm saying is your first class might not be the right match. You'll have your own, even even though you might not know it, you'll have your own learning style and you'll have your own um, expectations and all the rest of it so is it is it an expensive hobby to commence so no it's not really i just worry about people who think oh i'd like to learn painting and they go out and buy the whole box like buying the 72 derwents when they don't yes. have, you know yeah whereas at patmos where i teach it's only people our age who understand that reference by the way <laughs> <laughs> when you're at school you've had the, the 72 derwents it was the oh, ultimate yes. <laughs> yes so that's how you start yep if you want to be really good at it, are there any performance-enhancing drugs involved? Oh, yeah. Um, red wine. Excellent. You've taken a route through art, which involves a lot of people. You've, you've taught classes, mm. you've got the gallery, and, mm. and you've mentioned people quite a number of times. Is that an important part of the way you work? Yeah, it or is. Your... Well, it is. Yes. When I left teaching, I really missed I love the little hand being put in mine when I was walking around the yard. So I am interested in other people. But when they go home after a gallery opening, I go in there and I have to have silence. So it's not all the it's, time, but I do like it, yeah. Because one popular concept anyhow is artists beavering away on their own, stuck in a garret somewhere. And, and that's true. I cannot work with anyone else. With Heather, I'm learning to, with that collaboration. Yeah. But no, I like to go in there and shut the door. I, I don't understand how people can talk and work. I can't. So then just finally, and not to do with art generally, but when people retire or they're coming to retirement, have you got any, anything you'd like to say to them? Oh, yeah. Any mm, plan. <laughs> you, it ha got to, you must think, well, uh, you know, I'm going to be home a lot. And I, could, oh, I hate housework. If that's all that was... If that's all that was ahead of me, I couldn't know. You must plan. So what was the one thing you'd like to have more time to do? Well, start making plans to do it. It doesn't matter if it's holidays or walking or... You can only have so many holidays. So plan. Get, whatever it was that you were passionate about, get into it. You know, really get into it. And I also think, and this will be corny, but voluntary, some aspect of doing something for somebody else is so good for you as well as the person that you're helping. In what way? For you, the, the for well, you Well, you part. learn from other people, number one. It, it, it gives you a purpose. I think that we all feel we must have a purpose that is of benefit to others. That's, that's what we're raised to be. That's what we want our children to be. We want them to grow up and, and be good people. And by being good people, they're helping and supporting others. So we don't suddenly stop doing that because we're not employed anymore. So it's just being that, that ethos, I suppose, that I've grown up with. That's your personal philosophy, let's say. I suppose. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I haven't, yeah, haven't no, voiced it before, but that's probably... Absolutely agree with you. I think people, particularly when you retire, like you've got, let's say, a purpose while you're working and your purpose yes. is teaching or whatever it is you yeah. might be doing. 
and all of a sudden you cast adrift. Mm. And so you need a, a deeper purpose as well as yes. a surface purpose. Yes, I'm not explaining it, but no. a surface purpose might be I'm going to do art, and yeah. the deeper purpose is I want to help people. So Thank you very much. You've, you've given uh, I'll be very, When I listen to this, I'll be, <laughs> oh my goodness. It's made me think about it. It's been good. Well, that's ideal that you've just said that. You've made me think about it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Pleasure. You've given folks lots and lots to think about and given them a, a doorway into what you're doing into the art world. Well, as you can tell, Di is a person who is absolutely committed to creativity, to teaching, and to supporting those up-and-coming artists that are following on after her. I found her analysis of what good art was to be the absolutely perfect response to those people who say, I don't know anything about art, but I know what I like. It should be required listening. As I said at the start, I should be required listening for all those art students and people who are looking at taking up art, what they should be aiming for. And then her response to the final question, when she talks about purpose, absolutely encapsulates the way that she views the world and the way she's trying to make it a better place through her art, through what she does. Extraordinary, I think. I hope you've liked this interview. I've really enjoyed doing it. If you'd like to leave a comment, please do so on the website, retiredexcited.com. And if you'd like to send me a message directly, henry at retiredexcited.com. As I said, I've really enjoyed this, and I hope you have too. Leave me a reply. I'd love to read your comments. But that is all for this week. So I wish you good health, keep well, keep happy. And I'll see you next week. I want to give that a go for sure. Um, Ian Roberts was terrific. It was interesting. What a good idea.